Hello and welcome to Crime Time FM and part two of the January Review Show. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. There really are some brilliant books out there this month. The days when January was a publishing wasteland have long gone. Big titles and great new reads, so let's just get tore into it. Let's start with a note to self. Don't prejudge the read. As a critic, I read across the genre. That's domestic and high-octane and thrillers and cosy and noir. And it's all about the quality of the writing and the storytelling, not the subgenre or the niche. Still, a book featuring AI wasn't top of my list of intrigue. But boy, was I wrong. Joe Callahan's In the Blink of an Eye is out in hardback from Simon & Schuster. And it's a great read. I was a couple of paragraphs in when my preconceptions were smashed. And after a couple of pages, I was having fun. Eventually, the full emotional impact of the novel got to me too. This will be one of the debuts of the year for sure. Underlying the novel is the fact that thousands of people go missing in Britain every year. Most of them found quickly or return home. But what about the ones who don't and their families, bereaved or left in limbo? So In the Blink of an Eye is about a former homicide detective, DCS Cat Frank. Cat is carrying a heavy past, and she's looking to return to work with Warwickshire Police. Hopefully a desk job. What the Chief Constable offers, though, is a department looking into missing persons' cold cases. An active job. And there's a catch. The new Home Secretary has a pet project called AID, looking at integrating artificially intelligent detecting entities into policing, AIs. They are free, apparently, from the flawed human decision-making and prejudices, and it's all about resources and efficiency. Very reluctantly, Kat accepts that her small team will be joined by Locke, a wristband-come-hologram detective. Needless to say, Cat hates it. There's an instant clash. Funnily enough, though, the younger officers are far less hostile. There's a lot of humour here. The AI is capable of making some appalling blunders in the early days. So can Locke replace human officers, or at least contribute to the team? Naturally, the value of machine versus human investigation is tested. There are some good points and bad points to the AI's involvement. The thing that makes this novel is its emotional heart. There are two missing person cases that are being dealt with, plenty of jeopardy and some very clever plotting, with an original twist or two. So it goes way beyond that dystopian police procedural. It seems humans are pretty important after all. But this could be the beginning of a beautiful friendship for Cat and Locke, the AI. So sticking with the playful, but perhaps even a little darker, is The Library Suicides by Fleur David also in hardback, this time from Hodder and Stoughton. It's enjoyable in a delicious, but perhaps kind of naughty way, edgy and barbed. There's a few serious points here too, and you can be laughing at something that you think inside maybe you shouldn't, before being brought up abruptly by something that's quite disturbing. This is in several ways a provocative read. The Library Suicides is set in the National Library of Wales. It features Anna and Nan, they're twins. They now run the library, and that has played right into their hands because they have plans. The women revere the memory of their writer mother Elena, and they believe that Eben, a critic, is responsible for the decline in her mental health, thanks to a review he wrote of one of her novels, which eventually led to Elena committing suicide. Eben is about to return to the library to finally get his hands on Elena's private diaries. Naturally, he doesn't accept Anna and Nan's analysis that he's responsible for her death and he's grateful that they've given him access to the private papers, perhaps even believing that they've forgiven him. Once Eben is inside the library, he discovers much more than he's bargained for in Elena's papers. But now he's at the daughter's mercy, trapped, and they intend to exact their revenge. They have manipulated staff and engineered a lockdown in the library, 
a hostage situation develops. Will knowing more of Elena's story change the twins' viewpoint? Are they as united as it first appears? Loyalties will be tested. Will the things they find out about themselves change the course of this momentous day? Well, this certainly is. A fine collection of damaged and flawed individuals. The exciting and even nail-biting narrative is underpinned by themes of national and personal identity, the value of criticism, misogyny and mental health. This is a sharp satirical novel, thought-provoking, witty and thoroughly entertaining. There are a few Welsh writers in today's show, a reflection, I think, on the fact that Welsh crime fiction is being recognised in its own right, not just as an adjunct to English fiction these days. Simon MacLeave was a very successful independently published author with huge digital sales when Avon, do I resist saying, came calling. Sorry, a different thing altogether. Anyway, In Too Deep is his second Anglesey thriller featuring D.I. Laura Hart and is published in paperback from Avon, as I said. In the first, The Dark Tide, Laura had moved to Anglesey, the island in North Wales, following the death of her PC husband on a Manchester trading estate during a Greater Manchester Police operation in which Laura was involved. The inadvertent kidnap of her son gets Laura involved with the Bomaris police on Anglesey in that first novel. In Too Deep sees Laura now back at work as a DI for the Bomaris station. So, 20 years previously, two people bury a body. Now a skeleton has been found in the castle ruins on Anglesey. So Laura's team start tracking down possible missing persons. The case leads Laura into deep water. Too deep? Well, that's a question, isn't it? It involves MI5 and an operation against the real IRA in the early days of the peace process. Still working through her issues and with new relationships, this case is a hell of a job to welcome her back to work. I was hooked on this entertaining police procedural from the start. If MacLeave wants, there's plenty of mileage in D.I. Laura Hart and the Anglesey Mysteries. I don't know, but it seems to me that there's a lot more humour in crime fiction these days, and that's out with the actual comedian-writer invasion. And this certainly is a witty novel. I suppose this is what might be called a cosy, a new hardback from Head of Zeus, Death and the Conjurer from Tom Mead. Another impressive debut, and again there's fun to be had here. It's a classic lock-room mystery in the best Golden Age tradition, but with modern sensibilities and construction. Certainly an homage to John Dixon Carr, but also with an original style and invention. The solution will have you glued to the page. Set in 1936, rich in period and the themes of the time, such as female suffrage and rights, and the rise of the psychologist, and the growing, gloomy situation in Europe. But there's nothing there that interferes or distracts from the entertainment. The Pomegranate Theatre is about to put on a production of a new play, Miss Death. We're introduced to the cast, the impresario, and the stage magician, Joseph Spector. They, along with the victim's daughter and new beau, and his patients are all suspects in the death of Dr. Anselm Rees, an Austrian psychologist new to the UK. Someone has slashed Rees's throat. The body is discovered in his study. The room is locked. No murderer in sight. Well, I can tell you one thing. The killer isn't the magician, because Spectre, in fact, in his spare time, is an amateur sleuth, and far more likely to solve this perplexing case than Inspector Flint of the Yard. This is an absolute delight for Golden Age lock room mystery fans, and all I say about it is encore. Peter Lovesey is a legend in the crime writing world, winner of a CWA Diamond Dagger for career achievement, and its stateside counterpart, 
He's a grandmaster of the Mystery Writers of America. Many readers will know either his Sergeant Crib Victorian Mysteries or his contemporary Bath set Peter Diamond Mysteries, of which this is the 21st. In Showstopper, Swift is a TV crime show with a slightly dodgy view of the police. The new series is filming in the West Country, and one of Swift's stars dies of a heart attack when she confronts an intruder at her home. The series' creator and producer had already died during the filming of the last series. Rumours that the show is jinxed circulate. Peter Diamond doesn't buy it for a minute, but when a crew member goes missing, he sends a young detective to the set. A cast member nearly drowns. Other strange things start happening. Diamond is forced to investigate himself. The press are having a field day. However, this is not so much bad luck as deadly mischief. Another cosy, loaded with light satire, poking fun at the film industry and society. Clever, very well written, and as you'd expect from the winner of an Anthony, a Barry and a McCavity, great storytelling. Published in hardback by Sphere. Now altogether darker is Thornmore's new paperback novel, Bethelia, from Diamond Crime and out in paperback. In 2000, three Oxford college friends, Alison, Danny and Jude, are musing on what the future might hold. The world is their oyster. Prince Charming must be out there for each of them. And the one thing they're very sure of is the love they have for each other. 2018, Alison is dead. Apparently she committed suicide. Though Danny thinks that her husband Simon is responsible for her death. She tells Jude when Jude returns to the UK for the funeral. Simon has an alibi, and Jude feels sorry for him. He's attractive and vulnerable, and after all, Danny has her problems. The police did look into Alison's death. DC Rosanna Quillen has her suspicions about Simon too. There's more than a hint that he physically and mentally abused his wife, but there's no real evidence to back up the idea of a murder charge. However, Rosanna's personal experience leads her to want to keep digging into this case. So, other than that this is merely an opening snapshot of a much more complex situation, I don't really want to say a lot about the plot. I think it's far too easy to get into spoilers. All I will say is just don't expect everything to be as it appears. A lot of domestic noirs complicate things with twists and surprises, but they actually weaken the impact of the central trauma. This novel is clever, but it is always grounded. It's about male violence and misogyny, institutional and personal, and how women are treated in society. It echoes an ancient story, making a point about it was ever thus, and perhaps that's a good reason to think about change. This is more demanding than the usual mass-market domestic noir, and for that it's an intriguing and thought-provoking read. I interviewed Peter May back in 2021 for his French set thriller The Nightgate. He wasn't afraid to use Covid in the narrative. His next novel, Lockdown, of course, written well before the Covid outbreak, was actually about a pandemic and but he did suggest at that time that he was thinking of calling it a day, and it seems that this novel, the themes of climate change and the destruction of the planet, is what changed his mind. This is a return to Scotland, to the Highlands. A winter grave, the new hardback from Quirkus, is set in the near future, 2051. And of course there are references to the present day in there as well. This is a quietly angry novel, riffing on the idea that we really are destroying our world, and the legacy of future generations. And of course, in Britain, Scotland would be the first to suffer the brunt of it. So in 2051, Addie climbs to a mountaintop observation station to monitor the weather when she finds the frozen body of a man, ill-equipped to be climbing. 
D.I. Cameron Brody, fresh from a bitter defeat in the Glasgow High Court which freed a murderer, is set to head north to run the investigation. The dead man turns out to be a Scottish Herald political journalist missing for months, Charlie Younger. May paints a very vivid portrait of the climate-altered Britain, including a flooded London. This is a tale of greed and political corruption. It's intriguing, and May is a consummate storyteller, clearly passionate about this topic. Fans will love this new one. So next up is another Quirkus A-lister with a new hardback. The last remains is the 15th and last Ruth Galloway mystery. Unless it isn't. Never say never, of course. But an awful lot of questions are posed and answered in this novel. Things resolved and the past recalled with a little nostalgia. Obviously, long-running series are as much about the characters that we come to love as the mysteries they're involved in. They become like old friends or enemies, and Griffiths is aware of our needs in this regard. Ruth's personal life, her relationships and her career all feature prominently. For a start, the archaeology department she heads is threatened with closure. That said, there's a really intriguing and entertaining mystery here too, and that's rather personal for Ruth, as her good friend Cathbert becomes a suspect. Cambridge student Emily Pickering went missing in the 1990s. In 2021, a body is found walled up in a cafe being renovated by a local builder. The police investigation soon identifies the missing student, and suspicion falls on her old tutor, Cathbert. It soon emerges Emily was involved with a strange quasi-cult, and naturally is an awful lot more complex than it first appears. This novel deals with misogyny and male privilege, and institutional failings. This has been a wonderful original and entertaining series. Ruth will be missed by her many fans. But this is a strong swan song. And so last, but absolutely by no means least, Resurrection, the new Englishman Dan Raglan thriller from David Gilman, in hardback from Head of Zeus. I love a high-octane thriller if it's got rounded characters and it has a logically consistent and intelligent plot. This series absolutely hits the mark. The opener, The Englishman, came out in 2021. It was fast-paced, exhilarating and clever. Dan Raglan 2, Betrayal, was more complex but equally satisfying. And now, in Resurrection, we have possibly the most straightforward of the stories, but certainly as entertaining and as intelligent. The constantly shifting sands of the Sahara roughly on the Sudan-Chad border, suddenly reveal the carcass of a P-51 Mustang, US warplane. There's a skeleton inside. The plane has been buried for decades. The pilot, a 1970s CIA officer, was taking a briefcase to London for an MI6 officer unable to communicate directly with HQ. A German archaeologist who saw the aircraft before it was swallowed again by the sand passes the info to ex-MI6 agent John Barton. Barton is about to take the info to MI6 HQ when he's attacked by a Russian GRU team. His dying act is to give them the wrong information. MI6 used the usual Legionnaire's link, Serge Sokol, to contact Dan Raglan. They want him to find the plane and recover the briefcase, thus protecting the identity of the highest placed spy MI6 has ever had in the Kremlin. The hook is that the dead American pilot was taking the briefcase to London on behalf of Raglan's now-dead father, who was then an MI6 officer. Raglan, ex-Special Forces, including the Foreign Legion and ex-MI6, will lead a French retrieval team with hostile locals and the Russians in various guises, including Putin's private army, the Wagner Group, on their tail. As I've said, this is perhaps the most straightforward novel, but it's totally satisfying, super pacey, inventive, gritty and well-plotted. Long may the Englishman ply his trade. Top-notch entertainment.
so thank you very much for listening. There's information on all the books on the programme notes, and I'll be back with a February review show featuring, amongst others, Stuart McBride, Simon Scarrow and Elliot Sweeney. But for now, bye. Bye.